Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Answers. I'm Glenn James. This is John Pigeon. And today we are answering your questions. We haven't done one of these episodes for a little while. If you are interested in sending in a question, send it through somehow. I don't know. We'll we'll get it. We'll add it to the question bank. Yeah, pigeon carrier. And we will uh, answer your questions. But the first one today is from Harriet. How much savings should I have set aside to start my own business? Mm. Thousands, Harriet. Thousands. I think um, it, it really depends on what type of business you're running. Is it product? Is it service? And yeah, you just uh, you just need to factor in, write down a list of things that you would need in your business to st- just start it up and get it going. I, I'm from the view of just get it going. Yeah. Um, like have your buffers, but if you've got your buffers in your personal life sorted then all this business stuff is is uh, is cream if you're doing it as a side hustle. Um, I wouldn't go crazy, would you? No, I would I would first work out, like if you can do it on the side to start with, absolutely. See if you can slowly put your toe in because you want to line as many ducks up uh, as possible to start with. Yep. Now, when I started my own business, I actually couldn't do it on the side by law because I could only right. be licensed as yeah, a financial okay. advisor. So, however, if Harriet wanted to start something and she was already working in that industry and she wanted, I'll just make it up, uh, a marketing consultant. Mm. So, she was working in marketing and she wanted to be have her own marketing consulting company. There's no reason why she can't set up a website. She can't um, start to put her feelers out there yeah. just to line up a few ducks. Totally. But in terms of... Um, how much saving should you have set aside? Well, the answer is as much as possible. Now, mm. I would say before you jump ship, we want to make sure you've got no personal debt in your life. We want to make sure that your cash flow is lean as possible and maybe if you can start by doing some things on the side after hours or weekends or take a week off annual leave and just smash out a heap of work and yeah. moonlight, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you'd want to just make sure you're being ethical and moral. Yeah. But the whole thing is before you jump ship, you want to make sure that ship is as close to the dock as possible mm. because you don't want to fall in. No, and you want to know how to swim, don't you? So I think when I've helped a few start up their own businesses, as one thing I've focused on is what I call a, a bare ass minimum. So what does it cost us? to cover the running costs of our business mm. and can we get that covered as a first goal? Yeah, because there's the trap of when you're starting a business like of having too much cash and money because you're not hungry enough to get out there and get some work. Yeah, hustle, yeah. So, you need that balance and I think you're right, John. Like if you could do a budget, okay, this is what the first year looks like. Yeah. Um, pretend if you wanted to start a little cafe little espresso bar hole in the wall. Yeah. 
Because like, there's okay. not enough of those. No. <laughs> so it might be like I would actually funnel it right down to say, okay, this is how much it's going to cost me just in expenses. Yes. So rent, insurance, stock, whatever. Yeah. Everything, phone bill, Wi-Fi access for the espresso bar, all that stuff. And then go plus, I need to earn a salary. Yes. So even if that's 60 grand to start or 55, whatever yours is, then we can actually factor that right down to how much I need to make a day. Mm. And it might be I need two months worth of expenses in my bank account before I press go. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not that different from running your personal um, mm. co- cost to exist, is it? Yeah. So, Harriet, as much as possible, but just make sure you're out of consumer debt. Anonymous asks, as first home buyers in Sydney, my partner and I paid a 20% cash deposit on both the vacant land, 424K, and construction, uh, worth 300, on their principal place of residence. When our home is finally built and we move in, what's the process of getting our home valued and using the equity to purchase our first property, investment property in Sydney? Hmm. Good question. So, 725 all told will be the value or, or cost. Yep. Um, the process is just simply getting that lender to do a valuation mm. on completion and walk through. It's all done, carpeted, etc., and see what the valuation comes in at. From a lending point of view, however, that's a very different story, mm. depending on what loan you've got. So if the if you get excited and it comes in at eight hundred k as a as a new value on completion, um, eighty percent of that is essentially how we calculate the equity minus the debt, right? So if you've got a value of eight hundred k, but the debt's seven hundred, um, there won't be anything there to use to pull out as equity. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh it's a tough one if. Uh, if the valuation comes in at what the actual total costs were, but really depends on what their debt is. Yeah, and I think any mortgage broker worth their weight in salt or whatever the saying is, they will be able to help you through this process and just tell you the information and the process. Um, Because you could go back to your mortgage broker and they could go, look, based on what you've got now, and I know that your work's this and, you know, we had to use this lender over here for your situation based on this construction, yeah. I'm pretty sure this lender over here might be a better rate anyway. Let's send out and get a couple of vowels from a couple of different lenders yeah. and and go from there. Yeah, no, I think you'll get a feel generally, won't you, when it's complete, um, see what's sold in the area for the same mm. sort of product, same size land. Mm. As to know but I mean, Anonymous, you've, you've done well to have uh, a 20% cash deposit, so well done. Yeah. Claire asks, insurances, how do you know what type of income protection insurance to get? When should you get it? And is the one that comes with your super enough? So That's your domain. Yeah, so I'll have a, a one or two things to say on this. Number one, if you haven't listened to the episode I've done on insurance, head back our first season, episode 141, and we take a really deep dive in insurance. Uh, If you're listening to this around June, July 2020, we've got an insurance webinar coming up, which we're just going to go narrow and deep into insurances. So just go to um, the sortyourmoneyout.com website, click uh, webinars. And register for that, there'll be no cost. But the ones with your super fund, 
the short answer is they're not enough. They're a default amount of cover. Yeah. So, they might say, here's $2,000 as a monthly benefit, where based on your income, 75% of your income, you might be entitled to $4,500 monthly benefit. Okay. So, by law, do they need to have that in their superannuation? No. No? No. But they just have it. Yeah, it's just a default member benefit. Now, when should you get it? Well, if you've got an income, you need to insure it. If you don't need to insure it, it means you don't need it. And if you don't need it, why are you working for it? Mm-hmm. So, it is an asset. You protect, you bought a car worth 15, 20 grand. You insure that for $1,100 a year. You've got an income of 50, 60 grand a year, whatever that is. I would recommend insuring that asset as well for yeah. you know $1,200 a year that's also tax deductible. So, we're pro insurance here and just setting out our foundations in our life Mm. and if you do want to speak to somebody to set up your personal income insurances we recommend you go to sortyourmoneyout.com click get help and i'll refer you to a trusted advisor on our panel yeah because you really i can't answer this question in five minutes but claire if you are working and you're in good health i would imagine that you should consider this as part of your financial foundations. Is there any occupation where you'd say you maybe don't need it as much as others? In terms of, well, let's remember, John, income insurances doesn't cover you for redundancy or getting fired. No. It's only accident and illness. Yeah. So, it's it generally, regardless of, of your occupation, it's your own health. That, that's well, it, and it's like I, I was going to um, call my insurance company the other day because remember how it hurt both my hands. Yeah. Um, I hurt them renovating the house basically. Yeah. And that had nothing to do with my occupation. Yeah. It just meant I couldn't actually hold a microphone the other day or pick up my phone. Mm. So I thought, oh, there might actually be a claim here because yeah. it, it could have taken six weeks to get better. But but didn't your laptop land on both hands? What do you mean? When you were working? No. No. <laughs> I don't know. What John... The people said no lame jokes yeah, in the one-star yeah. review. Joe, uh, oh yeah, so Claire, absolutely reach out and mm. I would encourage everybody to listen to episode 141. And there's been plenty of listeners mm. and I congratulate you for reaching out and actually getting insured because the reason why you want to get insured and factor that into your budget because when you want to buy your first home or your second home, we want to make sure if your income stops from an accident or illness mm. that the money keeps coming through the door yeah. to fund the mortgage repayments, to fund your rent, to yeah. just to keep live life your life going. Yeah. Yep. Joe asks, and this is a good one for you, John, what at what level of income does negative gearing actually become worthwhile? <laughs> so is there actually a level of income? As high as possible. Yeah. It's definitely more effective for high income earners. So, $0.45 cents is the top tax bracket. Um, so, that's where it's at, at its highest benefit. If you're below that, then it means that you're claiming back your running expenses at $0.37 cents in the dollar versus 45 or 32 versus mm. 45 So, I don't think there's a level, but generally speaking, the, the 45 bracket is 180K plus, isn't it, at the moment? So... That's where you, you get some nice cream from your tax returns, but it's um yeah it's it the very and it and it speaks to something that we spoke about on the property podcast was 
what's our cost before tax, what's our cost after tax, it's very personal to you. Mm. And I guess, you know, if I can excuse the people who are, you know, financially woke and sophisticated and who are just kind of here for the encouragement, can you explain for someone who might not actually know what negative gearing is? Yeah, so in a very basic sense, if we've got a property, it might give us 25 grand of income through rent for the year and the expenses going out for that same period is 30 grand. Uh, We've got a five grand negative loss, right? So we're negatively geared or negative gearing that five grand against our uh, income tax rate. So let's say it's 45 cents in the dollar. Uh, we're claiming back that five grand at 45 cents. So it's still costing us um, money to hold that property, right? Now, where people might get an advantage, and, and this is why accountants talk to this, is depreciation. So the depreciation you can claim back, but it doesn't actually cost you money. So you might be able to claim 10 grand worth of depreciation in one year, but you haven't actually spent that 10 grand. So that I want to stop it there because it can get complicated after that. But yeah. essentially, your your income is less than your expenses um, and then you've got an after-tax position. Yeah, and I guess you technically can't have a negative or positively geared property if you own it outright. So if you look at gears and the little cogs, so it could be one little cog mm. connected to a big cog, so you've actually used leverage. So with gearing, it basically means... You've got extra help, yeah, and that help is debt. So if I gear a property, it means I've got a debt against it, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So the net result of that leverage or the gearing to the property, mm. it will either be okay. So I've borrowed money to buy a property, or it's still running at a loss because of the costs of the borrowing. Yeah. Or I've borrowed money to buy a property, and it's running at a surplus or yeah. a positive. So it's then positively geared. So it's just what happens with the borrowing costs, whether yeah, it's that's right. geared negatively or positively. So mm. just remember gearbox in a car or on your watch, there's all these little cogs turning, they're rolling around Yes. Um, and it's, called, it's leverage. It could be my property's leveraged negatively or yeah. leveraged positively. Yeah. So, and, and just to finish on that topic, we look at the real costs um, versus the actual costs. So the real costs are my insurance, my property management, the interest on the loan, etc. The actual cost is, well, now I can claim the depreciation. Yeah, what's the wash up? Yeah. Yep. Um, so whilst it's negatively geared, it might not be costing you money. But if we buy a 1970s property that's got no depreciation benefits, we could actually be losing money on that property. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thanks for listening to my Millennial Answers. It's been a pleasure as usual. And yes. remember, we've got a heap of webinars coming. So make sure you check out uh, sortyourmoneyout.com or the show notes and we'll we'll put a link to the webinars in there. All right. All right. Bye. See ya. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. This podcast supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you want some other giving options, or if you are unsure about which charity you can support, head to the 
thelifeyoucansave.org.au. Thanks to Jess Knaus, producer, Nathan Robertson, editor, and me, Asher. Anyway, make sure you're connected via Instagram and our free Facebook group. We also film most of our content now, so check out My Millennial Money on YouTube. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.